Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey Griefsters, hope you're doing okay. I know we are fast approaching the festive season and that is that is a tricky time whether you give a crap about Christmas or not or you're religious or not or you're Christian or not. Um, it's dark and it's cold in England at the moment and I have definitely been <laughs> struggling a little bit um, to, yeah, just to get through this dark bit. I find that really hard. It might not be about my dad, guys. It might just be because it's dark <laughs> it's hard time it's easy to blame it isn't it that's because my dad died it might just be literally because it's dark and cold anyway i sincerely hope you're doing okay firstly i just wanted to say thank you so much because you're listening to this podcast and it means just sometimes more than i'm willing to admit that i have this show because I, I think sometimes I, I moan about it a little bit. Or I say, oh, it's, it's quite hard doing grief class. But actually, to have this space to talk about my grief and share other people's grief and the fact that any of you listen to that and want to hear these conversations is really nice. It's really, really nice. So genuinely, thank you if you are listening. And I've decided uh, to copy another podcast, the very, very brilliant Two Shot podcast. If you haven't listened to that, it's Craig Parkinson talking to various people, various actors and performers, but not necessarily about the jobs they've done, just brilliant, brilliant chats. And last year they did a kind of compilation for Christmas and I thought, I really like Craig and his podcast, so I think that'd be a good idea for Griefcast. So we're going to have two weeks of special episodes. So this week and next week are going to be compilations um, just of some nice moments um, of the chats I've had uh, this year and well since 2016 because we've never done this before and we're now at 63 episodes this is number 64 so I thought right time to review it's the end of year grief cast review and I know that we've had so many episodes that I don't know if you feel like this about podcasts I see the sort of like if I see loads of episodes I think oh God, that's too many I can't how will I even know which one to pick and I normally pick one people I know I know it's bad isn't it so I just wanted to play you some clips that maybe of shows that you didn't know we did or you might have missed along the way or you weren't sure what it was about and just a nice chance to hear some of the stories so I've chosen um, some of my favourite clips from amongst all the earlier episodes for this episode we're going right back to the beginning and then next week we'll do some of the more recent ones yeah 
a chance to perhaps catch up on some episodes that you, you missed the first time around. I hope you enjoy. So we're going to play some clips now and I will interject occasionally between them so that you know what perhaps what the background was. So for the first three clips you're going to hear, we're going right back to the beginning of season one, episode one, to talk to Adam Buxton, who was talking about caring for his dad in the last few months of his life. We then go on to comedian Jade Adams. Um, Jade gave a really emotional interview about her sister Jenna, who died when she was in her 20s and... Yeah, it was a really, I mean, they're all special episodes. They are all amazing. But um, yeah, Jade's was the first time I think I realised, oh, maybe we can talk about this seriously and funnily as well. And maybe both those things can be there. Um, so yeah, this is Jade remembering, just remembering Jenna really and what it feels like not to have her around. And then you'll hear another comedian, the brilliant Sarah Pascoe, who's talking about how her, still makes me laugh, how her dad decided to break the news that... Her granddad had died. That's what I really worried about with my dad. Was, yeah. Is he going to panic? Yeah. Is he going to lose his shit? Yeah. And be overwhelmed by fear? And he didn't. You know, that's not to say that he wasn't clearly distressed at certain points and, and that he went in and out of strange states, partly because of the drugs. Yeah. But he was never freaking out in that way, which, which was a huge relief to me. I mean, I, I would hope that that was partly to do with the fact that he was with us and that he was at home. I think being at home, it makes a huge difference. Uh -huh. Like it can really that, And I really should say help. as well that I hate the idea that anyone would listen to me saying that and think, oh, that's what I should do. They, oh, no, you know, no. It has to like be you, right. You, you have to do what you have yeah. to do, you know. And there were very many points as well where I thought, I can't, this is not working. Yeah. And also when my dad was saying, all right, well, put me in a home then, you know. Yeah. Like, I'd rather be there than than have to deal with this or that hassle, you know. Yeah. I was like, well, fine, okay. I mean, that would be a better idea. And, you know, we'll come and visit you. And those people will take proper care of you. Because at certain points, I thought, I'm not qualified to deal with all this shit. Yeah. You should be with people who can The look things out that you're asked better. to do when, because uh, my mother-in-law um, passed away at her house and we were looking after. And, like, it's so overwhelming. It's not right for everybody. Yeah, and you are by no means letting anybody down. No, no. You know, if yeah. you go and you get help, that's what these people are there for. And they're great. They're amazing. They are amazing. You know? Yeah. When you see those people who deal with it on a daily basis, how yeah tough they are and how strong they can be about yeah an ill dying person. Whereas I think, especially if you love them, it's very difficult to separate that. They do such an invaluable yeah. service. And it's not like they're all people that you would necessarily want to hang out with. No, some of them are pretty tough. <laughs> you get the yeah. occasional one who comes. There was one guy who came round. I don't think he was not a Macmillan guy, actually. He was he was from another caring age. <laughs> he came pretty close to the end, actually. And one of the worst things was when my dad couldn't really move and get out of bed and stuff, yeah. and but he still needed to go to the toilet and stuff. So there would be a complicated procedure. I won't go into too much detail, but this guy was helping me with it. And my dad would be kind of moaning and groaning. And and this guy looked so... And I was obviously found it very stressful and upsetting, and this guy looks over and he goes, hang on a second, I know you. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah, and which, is, which is the worst one in real oh life anyway. Oh, my God. When some, someone dimly thinks they know you and, you're, and you don't want to say, 
oh, I'm on TV, I'm famous. Because probably that's, that's not how they know you. Maybe they know you from, you've, you know, bought a pint off them. Or yeah, I don't know yeah, what, yeah. they know you from some other way. So you don't want to presume that, oh, you've seen me on TV. So I'm like, and especially at that moment, I was like, <gasps> no, I don't think you do. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, you look very, very familiar, though. I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, I don't know. Uh, maybe, do you watch 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown? I'm on that sometimes. Dictionary Corner. Do you ever go to live, live comedy? Yeah. This thing called Bug. Do you it's like really music good. videos? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, we kind of, uh, we show the latest music videos. Sometimes we do specials. Um, I don't know. Have you seen Hot Fuzz? I get killed by a church. Uh, anyway, my dad's moaning and groaning there. So Jeez. maybe we should get back to that. That's the worst I've ever heard of that question. Because that question is always awful. That is really bad. The worst I have when they was they were selling after she, uh, my mother-in-law passed away, they had to sell the family home, and it was very traumatic. And I went round to help. You know, we're still clearing up stuff, and there was just stuff everywhere. And the estate agent said to me, he "Went, oh, uh, crackanori." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "What?" And everyone's crying, and I'm like packing away like this, you know, all these plates. Crackanori, yeah, well. which like really obscure Dave series that I did two series of, yeah. yeah, but not 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 hugely well known. And I was like, uh, yeah, and he went, yeah, yeah, you're in the one with uh, Jack D. Did I was like, yeah, 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 I am. Um, Oh, I love that show. Brilliant. Anyway, Lisa, I've looked around the house. Tell you what it's worth. That was the strain. I thought that was really weird, but it, you. He was quite young, and I could see that he just it came out of his mouth before he he, and then he did sort of realise. But over your dad, that is what was the, what was he thinking? And my dad was a little bit out of it at the time, oh, no. and I felt it was so frustrating because I just wanted to look at my dad and just go, "What the flip what the fu- is yeah. going on?" and get some reaction from him because my dad would have found that very funny if yes. he'd been totally together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would have just thought, "Give me a break." <laughs> So if you're struggling with something, if you're ill or something like that, like the only thing to do in that situation is to just try and have a, it's just try, like try, try. Because when that person, when you're gone or you're, or the person, there's someone gone in your life, it's, that's it. There's nothing else. That nothingness of like knowing I'll never speak to her again, knowing that I'll never touch her or I'll never smell her or I'll never like... I'll never pick shit out of the holes in her ears where the, her earrings used to be. Yeah, and, like, yeah. knowing that, like, like people don't... People don't... People just don't realise that that's, that's it. Yeah. There's nothing else. The finality of it, I think, is really... Unless you've been through it. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. And I, like, again, I feel, like, really lucky that that I've been through it in a way because it just it just makes you I don't know if you got this as well but I just feel fearless mm. I definitely did for about yeah you just feel like you the do time. anything I find the fear came back yeah <laughs> the fear definitely came back but I was how old were you when it came back how long after I'm just like, thinking like how long have I yeah, got yeah how long have you got until I start um, shitting shit my pants it did take ages I mean I've, I'm nearly like it's nearly been like 18 years or something so I've, I'm getting to the weird point where I've he's, he's been dead longer than he was alive. Alive now, for you, which is, yeah. It's very strange. I'm older than Jenna ever will be now. Yeah, she's my older sister still, but yeah. she died when she was 28. Yeah, those weird things, those weird little milestones that that do get in your head. But I'm like, 
Definitely for, yeah, maybe a good five, six, seven years, I was completely fearless. I just didn't, I didn't care what anyone thought at all. Yeah. Because your, your skin's been ripped off. Yeah. So you're like, what? And I remember thinking, like, what else could you possibly do that could make this worse? Like, yeah. you've got you. What have you got? Yeah, what have Someone you got? Someone calls me fat in the street. I don't get it. I used to get called fat a lot. Like, you know, when, when fat wasn't popular, when James Corden and Adele hadn't made it popular. <laughs> but, like, I used to get called fat in the street or something. And when it, before all this happened, it would, I'd be, it would be the saddest thing that's ever happened yeah, to me. And yeah. I would cry and feel really insecure and I had and someone just like in a car did a drive-by fat shout and like in a car and just screamed out the window at me and like I remember I was chatting to a friend and I just like carried on walking because it just didn't matter anymore what people thought about the way I looked what all the things I cared about before like being unpopular after Jenna died I was alone for five months in a car with a man he, he, he and I are friends now, but it was hard for us. To, this is the guy I went doing drag Shakespeare oh, with. Right, yeah. So that was... So Ollie and I had split up. Fucking sad. Mm. Just depressed. And he had depression as well, so it was not a good Bleak. situation. And I left and went doing... I went on this tour. And I spent five months not talking to anyone. Mm. Not talking to Ted's or the girl that was driving because she didn't really like me. And I just sat and I thought for five months. And I thought about how I feel and how and what's important to me and what I was going to do when I came back and what who who am I because mm. I hadn't been anyone I'd been Ollie I'd been whoever I was I'd lost me I'd lost my shadow I'd lost who I was I'd lost everything I compared myself to my whole life yeah. and I'm crying again it's so emotional <laughs> um, and I'd lost that 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 mirror that I used to hold up in front of my face she'd gone and I had to become me again it's such a cliche but like you after them yeah because without them there is it's like a, there's a piece missing there's a hole and like it, the hole will get filled up with other stuff but like there is some you know like again that MTC in you there's a something that you're like oh there used to be like a leg there and it's yeah. not there <laughs> when you lose that person whatever you've emotional connection you've had with them it's you do have to reform somehow and go how am I going to do that without the person I can shout out and call I'm up I'm now the big sister yeah I'm yeah. now I'm now the person who is probably going to be made responsible for my parents when they're older yeah. like my mum and I are best friends now I talk to my mum every day on FaceTime we don't we just we, we, we'll sit and not talk we'll just be on FaceTime together <laughs> like she's she is the cleverest person in the world that I know but when Jenna was alive we didn't have space or room for us to be close because Jenna needed my mum so much and mum wanted to talk to me about Jenna and I couldn't talk to her about Jenna because the way that I viewed my sister which is as a sister was very different to my mum viewing her as a daughter and I couldn't separate my my feelings towards Jenna with her feelings and so it wasn't we weren't able to talk then Jenna died and we've just been like she's been oh she she's just she's we're each other's rocks When he finally died, I was remembering this because I was on the way up here, we went, my dad lived in London at the time, so me and my sisters went, my mum said we couldn't be at the hospital anymore. So mm. the last thing, when, just before he died, he's obviously that thing where you know someone's really, really wasted away, so they don't really look like them anymore. Yeah. He was in a hospital bed, very, very yellow skin as his liver was packing in, and really skinny, and um, 
and um, and we had to go and I was really crying and um, he, he said he'd come watch me at football next week and said don't worry I'll be there like that Aww. and then we went to my dad's house and um, he went to the cake shop and he got us all these amazing cream cakes with fruit on yeah. he waited until we all bit into them and then said your granddad's dead <laughs> because and I know and still to this day he's ruined that cake for you I'm ever vegan right so there's got to be something in there Look, so exactly so his thought was I've got oh this terrible God. news what I'll do is I'll wait until they've got cake in their mouth he did it once when we were children he came to pick us up from school and our cat we'd only ever had one pet he got run over yeah and bought him in a black bin bag because he'd found him on the way to picking us up from school oh so this cat was called Roly and he's in a black bin bag and so he told us the cat was dead and then bought us all a lemon ice. So we kind of forgot about the cat being dead. Oh and then God. when we finished the lemon ices, we you then started like... crying. He was like, you you don't care, guys. If you can be distracted by an ice cream. <laughs> That's incredible parenting tactics to use yes. sugar uh, yes. only around death. <laughs> yeah. Like, have but some that, sugar. That was the thing. It was like, and you know, because the minute... I mean, you know, that, that kind of first, well, what I had this first wave of grief, which was just completely nausea, with my mouth full, like oh, that's a half, awful. half chip. Yeah. Like, you don't want to swallow it, you don't want to spit it out. I mean, that, that is literally the worst. But also, but like, the worst way to tell you. crying and eating, yeah. like, that's sad. Like, oh, and you're sort mm, of, it's there, mm, so you mm. carry on, because it's a very celebratory thing to do to eat that cake. Yes. So, is that disrespectful to your granddad? Because mm. now you're having cream cakes. Do you know what? It is a shame kids can't drink. <laughs> they can't just pour a kid a whiskey and go, granddad's gone. Granddad's gone. <laughs> Get used to this. <laughs> Maybe that's what he was thinking. Like you just like it's like your equivalent yes, of uh, yeah. like have a little whiskey and tea. You just do that. Instead. I think what your dad missed out there is like the huge capacity for a cup of tea. Yeah, like the amount of deaths I've been around where just people just like just have a cup of tea. But isn't it amazing how amazing tea is oh, in those scenarios? Like, really hot, really strong. Any kind of an emergency, really. <clears throat> yeah. It yeah. sounds like such a silly thing to offer someone, no, but it's just the best thing. Having been around several people and mm. in houses that are dying, mm. I can't tell you. Like it's. I, I don't know if other countries have it, but like yeah. I feel so relieved. I've ever that moment when it's too awful to say anything. Yeah. Someone's literally dying in front of you. Anyone want a tea? Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, yes, I will, thank you. And it just, it saves the world. Yeah. It saves the world. Yeah. That's a terrible but way again, to Again, I think as we were children, yeah. I don't know if I was drinking tea when I was 12. Can you remember like the, that moment afterwards very clearly? Do you remember like the next couple of weeks very clearly, or is it kind of a blur? Well, I do, because I definitely remember and I think this is very common in terms of a hierarchy of death. All I remember is that my auntie and uncle, this is weird. Yeah. My auntie and uncle are cousins, <laughs> which is weird. I have that uh, equally. Uh, yes. <laughs> and um, they got together at my granddad's funeral. Oh my God. So they're both, they're first cousins, yeah. but they hadn't seen each other since they were children. Wow. And they're now, they're married and they've got children now. Uh, and they're okay, everything's okay. Very bright children, actually. Well, just okay. Sometimes, yeah. yeah sometimes just, you just don't know. It's just, a, it's just one of those lotteries. <laughs> come out a bit better yeah exactly you know yeah very good at the piano the eldest <laughs> very talented there you go. so i part of me maybe i can't remember the funeral maybe we did go there was definitely a discussion about it but what then happened afterwards i was very aware of my mum being very 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 sad mm. and sometimes at night i remember lying in bed and feeling very sad but not having any words for what it was yeah yeah but then as i think i told you before so maybe like three weeks later Something awful happened at school. I was doing, and this is classic Pasco. <laughs> I 
played hockey, yeah, and which meant you had to take a hockey. I had a hockey stick. Oh yeah, you have had to, to take carry this, it around yes. that pouch thing. Yeah. Well, sometimes I wouldn't. I'd leave it at someone's house. Oh, they were so expensive. But no, I hid it. In, oh. Like um, so, on the outside of their house, they had like a little <laughs> alcove. <laughs> And so I would just leave my hockey stick in there if I didn't want to carry it home and then I'd come and get it. Anyway, the girl whose house it was and I fell out about something unrelated mm. and her mum found this hockey stick and brought it to the school and then I fought the girl because her, they really shouted at me and they said it's like parking your car on someone's drive. And I was like, well, how is it? It's a small stick. It's not like a it's car. It's not like doing that at all. It's irresponsible no. if someone's bought your hockey stick you should look after it. And again, it's just that I thing. that I, argument. I just didn't know. Yeah, I just didn't yeah. know that was really rude. To like walk up someone's drive and put something of yours there. Yeah, think, I guess you know, it's, it's a bit weird. It's weird. I think it's weird. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'd only been at that school for a few months anyway. I decided to fight this girl. And my mum was called up to the school. And my mum was just in floods of tears going, I'm so sorry. My father's died. Sarah's very angry at the moment. And the teacher was like, why didn't you tell us this has been happening? Oh, so good. Sarah didn't mention anything. And I was getting all of this sympathy. Yeah. And I was sitting there thinking, no, it's because she's a bitch. Like, it's because she's a little... <laughs> this has nothing yeah. to do with this. And I remember almost thinking like, oh, great, I got off with this. And then when we got to the car, I was hysterical in floods of tears. Yeah. But I, again, I, I didn't... I didn't understand any emotion. So I, I would never have known at that point to put two and two together and yeah. go, oh, the world doesn't make sense to me at the moment. Mm. So I'm leaving hockey sticks all over the place. Or and also choosing like, with anger. being at a new school and thinking, I'm going to fight someone over this yeah. rather than like, oh, I just talk to that girl and figure it yes. out. Like, yeah, yeah. The, I think... The well, I never act- do that because I don't like being told off. <laughs> no, it's literally the worst thing that can happen to you is being told <laughs> off, as I know through many different experiences. Just don't tell her off. <laughs> As you may have noticed, guys, some of the earlier episodes were not recorded at the brilliant Whistledown Studios and edited by Kate Holland, so they sound the sound quality is a little up and down. Apologies for that. Next up, we'll be hearing three more clips. The first clip is the incredible comedian and writer David Bedil, who's talking about his mother's death and having to cope with his father's dementia at the same time. And yeah, again, a very 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 honest episode about dealing with two pretty horrific things and he does it with his own brand of brilliant humor as usual then you'll be hearing from actor and writer susan mccoma susan's dad was dying and she had got herself a job on a film in nigeria so she is going to the hospital to kind of say goodbye really um in just the incredible way that susan is and We'll hear from her here talking about how even taxi drivers don't always know the right thing to say. And then we had a request from our Twitter, at the Griefcast, from at Sarah Bale 18 She wanted to hear the Mac Twins episode, a clip of the Mac Twins episode again, describing how they felt when they found out their dad had died very, very suddenly of a heart attack on a golf course. And she said just the way they described it was how she felt. So here are the next three clips. She was young, I guess, for now. She's 75. Yeah. Um, and no one expected her to die. Yeah, yeah. And and we had this other thing, which is that my dad by then was in the throes of dementia. He's about six years older than her. Wow. So everyone had this narrative of he's going to die yeah, first. Yeah. You know, and then, and then we were all hoping, which is another guilt thing, that when my dad goes, uh, then maybe my mum who was still healthy enough can you know go on a cruise or we'll pay for her to do that and all that kind of stuff and of course now I feel terrible that we didn't do stuff like that for her beforehand but of course you don't think about it you don't especially if someone is very ill with dementia I mean that's a huge overwhelming it's it's very overwhelming you know and it was also it's also stuff 
you know, it's partly why I do a lot of stuff about, you know, dementia. Now I'm doing, to be honest, I slightly worry about the show from that point of view because the show gets branded very heftily as being about dementia. And of course, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it is, but that's the supporting role. It's an aspect of it. Yeah, the, the supporting role is dementia. The show is re- it's more about my mum than my mm. dad. And it's really about a much larger idea of memory, about how you remember people and, mm. you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it became something that I was really learning about and really didn't understand properly. And I think we didn't understand in terms of how much stress it was causing my mum and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh, but all I was going to say was, mm. is that, you know, you, the nature of your grief, and indeed, like, uh, if I could talk about Morwenna, who's my wife, mm. Morwenna's dad died when she was six. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it's very interesting, you know, how grief is with death that feels, you know, inappropriate, for want of a better word, yeah. too young, very shocking, shouldn't happen in the narrative. My mum's death was not like that in those terms. I, you know, mm. I was in my 50s, she was 75. It's not we, in, it's we, not out of the natural order of things. We talk about it a lot, again, that this you you can't compare. Like you said, it's it's still shocking, and especially, yeah. I think, when someone has seemed well and it's... Yeah. And like, to yeah. have something that seems like oh it's a chest infection it's a cold it's not a, we don't need to I don't need to get my anxiety levels up about that yes. you know and I also can. there's another issue which is my children yeah. you know and actually I mean this is a fun, another whole thing but I I didn't actually get on that well with my mum when I was in my 20s mm-hmm. and, te- and teenager very much not you know she was an exasperating woman she may have been extraordinary and amazing but honestly and as she, a as teenage she, as I'm boy sure you know, with a sexual mother yeah, exactly. I imagine that's actually yeah, quite no, tough yeah, and she was very jealous of girlfriends that I mm, had yeah. and you know she was because that sexual thing again and all sorts of issues I had with her and that sort of went away to a large extent I mean just with that getting older and understanding but also when I had children because she was actually a really brilliant grandmother you know and my mum was always to some extent searching for different identities so she had this identity of sort of you know mad sex champion (laughs) when she was sort of 30 and 40 but I think towards the end of her life although she never completely relinquished that one as you know (laughs) but part of her identity was to become this brilliant grandma and she was obsessed with all of our kids and blah 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 so then you have this other thing which is for them it is incredibly shocking in that way they're 10 and 12 and they just assume this person is kind of around as a as a constant and then they're not yeah. you know and that is incredibly weird and difficult for them as well and then you're really upset but you have to somehow process it to make it okay for them how do you do it because I, I well I mean one of the worst moments yeah. I mean again not a moment I make comedy of yeah. they were in the room uh, at the hospital just a kind of room had been set up for my kids and my brother's kids and our partners and we were sort of in and out of the, the emergency room. Mm. And then finally, you know, we get the message, she's not, she's going. So we go in there, it's hideous. Then we came out, her body was actually moved to the room next to where my kids were. Oh, and then we have to go in there and tell, I mean, I mean, you know, I can't, I mean, honestly, Carrie, Ed, I've had some bad times in my life, yeah. but I cannot compare to that weekend because that happened. So that's a whole day of that, kids, blah, blah, blah. The next day, because my dad is at home the whole time, right? Because we can't take him. Because, you know, A, he's very infirm, but B, he's got dementia. He won't understand what's going on. It'll be incredibly upsetting for him and confusing. So he's at home. So the next day, we managed to get some care for him overnight. But the next day, me and my brother go and spend the whole day with my dad telling him that my mum's died. We tell him. He reacts incredibly like I've never really seen him before because my dad is a very invulnerable man yeah. and, and is very macho and wants to be strong. When we first told him, he was incredibly upset. And then 15 minutes later, we had to tell him again. And then the whole oh day, my retelling my dad, retelling my dad uh, this appalling story. That makes me and, want to cry now. I know. It's an un- I mean, I look back and I think, okay, this is insupportable <laughs> emotionally. The morning I was going to Nigeria, my family had all said, you are going. They made a sort of collective decision. And I woke up in the morning, I was packing late because 
that's what you do. <laughs> and uh, I got a call from my little sister saying, um, Dad has pneumonia, um, that's it. It's going to be a matter of days. So you need to come to the hospital, say goodbye, get on a plane, go and do your film. <gasps> oh, my God. Crazy. My baby sister as well, just like this is, we've all spoken about it. I was like, stop having these conferences without me. <laughs> How like, many no. brothers and sisters have you got? So I've got two sisters, so my little sister Jo, Emmy, uh, my brother, um, and I've two uh, half siblings who live in Nigeria one from my mum's previous relationship one from my dad's wow okay so it's quite a lot of us but sort of the, the sort of nuclear so four, like yeah four. your immediate ones so had decided yeah they've your mum yeah they're going this going. is what we're doing so get over here as soon as you can say goodbye Whoa. and off you go so yeah to get his taxi ha- and like so you, you're at home and you get this call yeah yeah like <laughs> how how was that thinking going into that room thinking well this is I know this is goodbye yeah it was do you know what I remember most about that day? Is how bloody hot it was. <laughs> it was so sunny. It was like one of those really lovely days in London. And you've Every, got this weird, you're this not weird thing. Like, that, yeah. I'm in a taxi and taxi driver's trying to, you know, be quite nice. And, ah, yeah, I remember the conversation. So I'm quite silent. And my boyfriend at the time, he was useless. <laughs> absolutely, just absolutely rubbish. Like, bless him. We were young. We didn't know what he was doing. But I remember sort of like trying to call him and couldn't get in touch with him. And then I was in this car and I was really quiet. And the driver was just sort of like, you know, you okay? You're going to hospital? Is it somebody giving birth? Fingers yeah, crossed. I'm like, yeah. no, it's death. <laughs> no, <laughs> death no. is imminent. No, but I, and I was like, no, my dad's, he's got pneumonia and um, I'm going to go and say goodbye. I remember this driver just really... It was like he was trying to convince himself. He was like, people beat these things and it's oh going to be okay. And <laughs> You know what? I think he's going to be okay, well, you know? thank and you, Dr. Taxi Driver. Oh, um, I, I really appreciate yeah, it. But also, it's something like, you're too young for this to happen. I was like, meh. Okay, yeah. That's not science. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, sir, but I tell you that is not science. I don't think you know what you're saying, but it was so sweet. Yeah, trying. I don't want to drive this girl and that be the end. But yeah, no, I walked in there and and what they'd done is, is it, I never know how to pronounce it, is it palliative or palliative? Oh, palliative care. Palliative, that's it. And um, so they got rid of all the sort of horrible, nasty tubes and they shaved him and he looked like he was just about to um, (laughs) sleep. And um, and my mum was in the room, and I bumped into my sister outside, and she just sort of told me he looks fine. Like, don't worry, he yeah. looks fine. Actually, walked in. So my mum's in the room, and my mum was sort of like, <laughs> sort of like the matriarch. She was just in the corner of the room, silent, just like, okay, say what you want. I was like, right. Uh, so I leant in and I whispered because I'd read somewhere that hearing is the last thing to go. I don't know if that's true, but uh, so I just whispered in his ear and. Uh, I can't really remember what I said because I, I didn't prepare anything. I thought that's the worst thing. It's like, oh, yeah. got a speech. Um, scene five. Scene five. Uh, I just thought, no, I'm going to just riff. I'm going to riff. <laughs> but I didn't know what to say. I did, but I was talking. I spoke for ages. And then I looked at my mum. And I remember looking at my mum thinking, I have no idea what this must be like for you. Yeah. I have no idea what. Like Watching you did not see this coming. To say goodbye to your husband. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. And then she was like, "Right, you better get to Heathrow." <laughs> so, so then you just walked out. So I walked out, said goodbye to everyone. They were like, "We'll keep you posted." Um, we had to let. I didn't want to tell anybody working on the film about it. When it got bad, I told my agent, and then at that point, I was like, "I have to tell them because it's going to happen." And uh, and I kept thinking, I was like, "Why am I doing this? It's just a film. Like I don't care." <laughs> but my my mum was like, "It's in Nigeria." 
it's in Nigeria. Like you need to do it, and we're going to inform family, and they're going to make sure that you all see each other. Blah, blah, blah. So I, would, I don't really remember any of it. I remember one of my mates, Chania, she picked me up. And we drove back to my flat in absolute silence. Again, it's so hot and such a beautiful day. What was and it? Were you just did? Were you did you feel in shock, or did you just? Was it like you had no thoughts, or? I felt like I knew it. Yeah. I was like, I knew it was going to happen whilst I'm in Nigeria. I didn't know. It's kind of odd that I knew that I would always go. I think it was once I spoke to my dad. Well, he gestured very sternly to me about going. Mm. And then I had a really good conversation with my little sister, which I, I sort of resent that she had to tell me that and not comfort me, but, and, you know, I said, what is the point of this? Like, I don't understand. And she was like, you're literally going to stay and watch him die. Mm. Like, that's not nice. It's not nice. Like, why would you do that? Flight was delayed and we're just sitting crying and all you want is... Your mum, obviously. Yeah. Then when we got on the plane, we realised as soon as we saw mum that it would be real, so we wanted to get back off the plane. But we were in the air. And we want, I wanted the plane to last forever because I was just like, this is the light. This, as soon as I step off this plane, That's life real. has changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because it was just like, and I just remember seeing mum's face and just thinking, what the fuck? Yeah. What and for fuck? and for so long, I, because you're, when somebody dies suddenly, your brain doesn't process it at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. And I just remember us going... I'll go, where is he? Where the fuck is this man that was here yesterday that we're all on the phone to? Like, wh- where's he gone? And then was, we're asking questions as well because his f- mates had to give him CPR. He's on the golf yeah, course. Yeah, so, so he collapsed. Yeah, he had a heart attack. He was probably thinking that. Yeah, he had a heart attack. No previous symptoms. Like, just at 56. Boom. That 58. Was it. 58. 58. So that's, take a few years, two years off for dramatic effects. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, 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 if it was up to Lisa, I'd be 36. You know what I mean? <laughs> And yeah, all of his best mates, like from, there was like six of them on the golf course. And we were like, because I was like, if someone knew CPR at that time, would he have lived? Or you go, you go through all that stuff and then you like question it. But I think he fell on his face. So mum had to go and identify him and all that sort of thing because his wee face was all messed We never up. went to go and see him. But yeah. I didn't want to see. Did you see your dad? Well, I was with him when he died because it was cancer. Oh, yeah. Okay. So oh. it was very fast, but yeah. mm-hmm. equally not a phone call fast. So I can't imagine what it's like to have something which is literally a phone call. Yeah. And you spoke to him at the night. Pile of, it's just a different pile of shit. Like, yeah, it's not yeah. Really yeah. Worse. It's just Do you know what I mean? There's no pros or cons for either. Um, it was just... I remember, I, I remember thinking, like, I want... I've just never got to say bye. Yeah. Mm. And, like, that's, like... <sighs> Mm-hmm. Do my period, so I'll probably cry. But uh, <laughs> and I think that's tough, like just mm. him not knowing. Yeah. But then what or, do you say? But then, but then, I mean, good for he smashed it in the death stakes. Like, do you know what I mean? He, his dad is on the golf been, course. Yeah, absolutely. Delighted. He, he would be delighted. delighted that he died on the golf course. That was his favourite place. Absolutely delighted. Only twenty years later, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. oh, he'd been perfect. He didn't know anything was wrong. Boom, down. No. You, probably for you more so did you I felt like I changed into the girl that's dad had died oh yeah mm-hmm. oh, massively mm-hmm. and you're like, like I don't know yeah. who I, like I don't know who I am people are yeah. being so nice to me it's yeah. really weird <laughs> and the pity eyes oh the pity eyes um, and I, the, the head tilt yeah yeah. are you okay yeah you oh. okay? and it's like <laughs> everyone's just trying to be kind but you're just what like, I found was yeah I didn't cry as much as other people but since I've experienced more deaths 
the further you are away, the easier mm. it is to cry. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's what it took me other deaths to realise that I was a, you know, like, you're a distant aunt or great aunt or something, and I'm bawling my eyes out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't cry this much at my dad's funeral. Yeah, but it's yeah. because but the can of worms is open. Yeah. yeah. It's like I didn't cry for a year. opened again. I think it was really? about a year. Mm-hmm. What's, what triggered the first cry? Can you remember? Yeah, I am. Um, well, in fact, then that night, so you've got a bit of a probably different story, but Ian and I had only been together for five months. Oh, wow. And he, well, yeah. I got him outside and I was just like, look, if you want out, I completely get it. Yeah. This is not going to be good. We might have to move home. This is not going to be good. I mean, in hindsight, in retrospect, because we're not together anymore, I wish he'd... <laughs> he'd I wish he'd found out. <laughs> but just so our, our relationship was so wrapped up in that yeah. that I just... I just wish that hadn't happened. But and then that night he told me he loved me. That was the first time with my first boyfriend. So it was wow. like so bittersweet. And we both cried that night. And I just remember thinking, oh fuck off. Like, that should be like a massive moment in my twenties where yeah. it's my first boyfriend and it's so bittersweet and now everything's shit and blah. So I think I cried a bit, but then we were at so it was in the December we had a yoga night out. Do you remember when you oh, papered Christ. the walls with red wine? Oh, sick. And I um <laughs> I got into the flat and it was like bride of Chucky. It just all went and I was just crying and then Ian was somewhere but wouldn't obviously want a night out and wasn't going to come to my beck and call because just thought I was drunk and blah blah and I went through to my friend Charlotte's room that I live with and she was like it was like Bride of Chucky came in and it was just like and it just all came out and then at that point I was like I need to go and speak to someone so I went to counselling after that because I was like mum was like yeah Lisa hasn't cried and I actually have never thanked her or apologised for the weeks of the after dad died because oh, Alana was amazing she like organised the funeral because I was like refused to believe that it was happening and yeah. um, played, played Candy, Candy Crush, Crush. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to speak to anyone smoked like a chimney just being outside oh, God, yeah. and Alana was amazing and I've never thanked you for that so thanks oh, and apologies but you were and mum was good tell a story about what we're going to so be we, my dad always knew what he wanted to be buried but he was cremated right. but he wanted what he wanted his coffee he wanted two chocolate donuts his eagle's tape um, and his heart strip so we went down the length and bread of Edinburgh trying to find two chocolate donuts from Greg's it had to be Greg's chocolate funeral, donuts on the morning of the funeral and my mum was like it's got to be fresh they've got to be fresh I'm oh like, my god it's going to get burned but anyway she's obsessed <laughs> with, them, with them being fresh so <laughs> going around every Greg's in Edinburgh, Edinburgh trying to get two chocolate do- Greg's chocolate and donuts and they had to shut off our street as well remember because couldn't couldn't because, but then the other thing was we were I mean the only thing that Lisa piped up was we were, you know when you're like have to f- work out what you want to bury them in like yeah, um, yeah. what the, dress them in and my mum got these awful pair of like camel corduroys out I was <laughs> like mum he needs to have his Levi's 501s Aww. like he has to have that then Lisa went you better get him some socks because his feet will be cold. <laughs> I mean, that'll be the only thing yeah. that's cold. Anyway. But also, they lost his body. And what? It's oh, yeah. mental, like... So oh, I, must add, actually, I must add that the, the socks were gorgeous Ken socks. <laughs> <laughs> that was the very brilliant Mac Twins all the way back from episode six. Uh, This is a compilation of some of the earlier episodes that you may have missed, you might not have, you might have been a a loyal fan from the beginning, listening to our cheery death chats. Um, Thank you for listening and carrying on listening. I know it's hard to finish a podcast, it's much appreciated. We are nearly done with this episode of the Griefcast. As I said, next week we'll have some more compilations from later ones. Coming up next, we'll be hearing a clip from the incredible Robert Webb. Robert lost his mum when he was 17 to cancer and so yeah we had a lot 
a lot to talk about in some ways, a lot of similarities as always and a lot of differences as always. He's also written an amazing book sort of about that grief experience and lots of other things, um, which is definitely worth a read. Then you'll be hearing the amazing Emily Dean. Um, Emily is an episode we talk about a lot. Emily was the first person to sort of coin the phrase losing your witness. Um, she had quite an unusual childhood, as you'll hear here. And when her sister died, uh, yeah, that was the phrase she used. And I know I've brought that up a lot on other episodes. So I'd really recommend listening to Emily, who did lose her sister, her mum and her dad, and is just incredibly stoic and brilliant about it as is the brilliant comedy writer Kaylee Llewellyn who uh, some of you may know came back again to talk about her grief story because she lost six members of her family in a year this is from the first episode um, and she's just talking about sort of strange things she did to cope with it all um, which I think is just evident of Kaylee being very human and very honest and finally you'll be hearing a clip of the incredible brilliantly wonderful actor Gemma Whelan. Gemma came in to talk to me about her dad who had died quite recently I think when she came in to talk to me and um, it's a really beautiful episode actually because as you'll hear here his death is one of the most peaceful I think we've had on the show and as you know if you're a regular listener some of them are not are not peaceful and, and can be quite difficult to hear so I think Gemma's episode offered <laughs> a bit of hope for us all that something can be incredibly sad, but also incredibly beautiful. It was a pretty aggressive and speedy process, actually. There was only really sort of four months between when she found a lump and uh, and when she died. So it was fairly, it was fairly quick. It was pretty well well set in by the time she noticed and then there was was a long delay before she was properly diagnosed and then there was Uh. another long delay before she had a partial mastectomy which didn't work out and then uh yeah and then it was curtains uh quite quickly after that so what like what month was she diagnosed do you remember that sort of happening Uh, i do know but i can't recall that immediately i mean because i was keeping a diary oh wow at the time and so yeah it was it was pretty from start to finish it was about four months yeah wow and so you were 17 when she was diagnosed yeah. or 16 yeah. 17 the whole thing was well, I was 17 yeah. so you're at school yeah lower six form lower six wow yeah it's interesting I and mean, I know when I got in touch with you or when I, I read a bit of um, your amazing book in The Guardian because I I was 15 when my dad died right so I can't help but obviously when someone's a teenager you get that kind of like Oh, and my dad was diagnosed in the February and dead by the April. Yeah. So similar, like just. Oh, that is your yeah. yeah. Your world is just, and I don't know how you feel, but I remember thinking like as if just the tablecloth had just been pulled out from everything. Oh yeah. Like just suddenly everything is completely. Well, I think finding out. I mean, the, you know, it, it, perhaps it's a, a strange way of thinking about it, but I, but I sort of there is this sort of hierarchy, this kind of you know order of what what was the worst bit. Yeah, in my yeah. in my mind, and actually finding out that she wasn't going to recover mm. was the worst bit. Yeah, second only to the months afterwards. Yeah, third is when the day she actually died. That's a comparative yeah. picnic compared to the bit where you find out they're not going to get better. Were you told? Did someone yeah. say? Well, it should have been. Uh, it should have been obvious, really. I mean, she'd been in bed for weeks. She was clearly very ill indeed, but nobody had actually said, and I right. hadn't asked. Yeah, uh, because I sort of didn't want to know. I didn't ask. Yeah, I was too afraid to say because I just thought I just don't want to hear the answer. Yeah. So yeah, 
and I lived in there's a sort of self-protective thing going on even though you know it's not entirely wise but we, we weren't you know it wasn't a very sort of chatty death literate family and mm. most aren't and I lived with her and my stepdad Derek and my father who she divorced when I was five and I had a you know they he and I never really saw eye to eye and uh, and I would see him at sort of birthdays and Christmas and you know days when he'd trust himself to come around and be nice uh, and he came around because he'd sort of worked out that I didn't know and he'd had a couple of pints and he sat me down I you know I got off the bus from school and I sat down and there's Derek and dad in the kitchen round the table together which was a novel sight and yeah. not a welcome one and sort of you know I was immediately uh, on red alert and he said uh, now now boy your mum's poorly it's terminal <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's that's how I found out and then you know in the book I describe he immediately starts talking to Derek about whether he's going to need to get a cleaner in <laughs> because because uh, he's just looking around the kitchen going, because it's hard, isn't it, mate? It's hard keeping a place clean. And, uh, well, Josie, who does my house, uh, I give her a fiver. Uh, she does a couple of hours. And uh, and Derek starts haggling about, you know, how, <laughs> how much he's going to need to pay Josie. Uh, so, and this is Were you of, just standing there? I was, just, I was just, just sitting there, there and they sort of broke up and they noticed I was crying. Oh and then God. sort of later that day, I I talked to her and she said, I'm sorry, Paul's always been a pen in the arse and I'm sorry you had to find out like that and I should have told you myself. But um, but then we had a conversation. So um, you managed a conversation with her? Yeah. What was that like? Were you able to express yourself or did you feel too emotional? She, I was, well, very emotional, but I was trying to keep it together because so was she and I thought it was only polite to, <laughs> to sort of match that, if you like. And she said... Uh, now, is there anything you'd like to ask me or anything you'd like to tell me? And in the book, I say, you know, I felt a thousand future selves lean in with interest. Yeah. I mean, what is this mega question or yeah. this statement apart from I love you? And I didn't back myself to say that without without breaking down. So um, I told her the thing that was most important to me at the time about being 17, which was... <laughs> um, a lot of people seem to assume that I'm having sex all the time, but would it surprise you if I said that I was a virgin? <laughs> And she st- she started to smile, but she didn't want to look like she was taking the piss. And she said, I won't say I'm surprised, I won't say I'm unsurprised, but you'll catch them up. And I said, yeah, but all my, all my mates have got girlfriends. And she said, you'll catch them up and overtake them in everything. I felt for me when Rach died was that we had a really strange childhood, Carrie Ed. Mm. I mean, it wasn't you know, like a normal childhood. My parents are both in showbiz and the media. My mum was an actress and my dad was a sort of TV presenter and a broadcaster. Oh, right. He was an arts reporter. And so they were brilliant, mad, eccentric characters. Yeah. But they were... It was a strange household to grow up in. I mean, we had no boundaries, no structure. You know, as a child, me and my sister would just... I remember going to a friend and... Uh, we went to her house and it was about six o'clock and the parents brought like fish fingers and I said what are you eating and they said oh this is tea this is what you have yeah and I said well we just go to the dinner parties (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible like well where are the where are the guests I wondered where the guests were why there was no wine on the table wow I mean we didn't honestly it was you had a proper actor's household (laughs) yeah and there'd be a Dr. Hoover and chain smoking and saying you know how he couldn't get any work and there'd be philosophers and it was it was really amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I think sometimes I would think I really would like to go to bed early and 
get up. And, yeah, I'm tired, guys. Yeah, I'm tired. I don't care that you're not getting work. I'm six. <laughs> like, well, yeah. yeah and cool. a lot of oversharing. And mm. a lot of my parents would say, you have to put on a, a comedy review because our friends are coming around. And oh, my God, pressure. I know. Jeez, what if we're not feeling funny? <laughs> and it was all sort of directors and actors. Oh, and, my God. And I'd say, I don't want to do the comedy review. I want to. I need to go to school in the morning. Wow. I've got, and I remember writing something. It was like, who was Gandhi? I always remember sitting in my room and this laughter was going on and the smoking and the music and the noise and I was trying to write who was Gandhi and then <laughs> my parents pulled me downstairs to make me do this comedy review with my sister we had our pajamas on oh my things. god um so there was an element of us being the turn yeah you know because yeah. and it, I think that wasn't a sort of abusive thing that was just just they who had, they were yeah, it was a bit sort of circus mentality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were like in a troop, not a family. Yeah, yeah. And, but <laughs> I think it meant that my sister and I, I felt we were a bit babes in the wood. Mm. And I felt she was the only witness to this weird thing where you'd say to my oh, mum, yeah. well, I was about seven and I said, what, nanny was being horrible to me about my grandmother. And my mother said, that's because she was on amphetamines, darling, I've told you. It's a bit ab fab, isn't it? It's yeah. like slightly like, oh, right. What, what did you think when she said that? Were you like, what are amphetamines? Or were you... you know what's weird? And you what's know. really worrying? I thought, oh, right, okay, she was on amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, think... I forgot. Thanks, <laughs> oh, I wish you told me earlier. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think at seven, I already knew that that was wow. a drug or something. So, I mean, my parents weren't druggy, but they were just a very cool 60s couple. Yeah. My parents met because my mum was sharing a flat with Ian Lafrenia and Dick Clement, the comedy writers. Wow. And she said to them I want to meet a man it's time and they said well we've got a great guy he does an art show what about him and that was that so they introduced my parents wow um which was pretty amazing but it's I I had I had issues with a while for my parents because of this weird they didn't give me the tools I felt that I needed yeah. and I really after my sister died and then after they died fairly soon after I had to kind of forgive them and I really have now and I've got such affection for them and I I really love them now that they've gone but I completely know what you mean about bearing witness because I I mean not not at that standard I had quite a weird childhood as Did well you? yeah they're very hippies oh really very into self-help courses <laughs> like very set very 70s yeah. let's fix ourselves and I totally because my I have an older brother and yeah the ability to go oh, well mum said that yeah, you know what that means or she brought up that or dad do you remember when dad like and just someone to roll their eyes at with you and go oh my god yeah I know exactly and it's so yeah, yeah that's what siblings do you both saw the same weirdness yeah I guess every childhood is odd and strange of for its own reasons but yeah to, I completely understand what you mean to lose your partner in that way of someone who can at least go god yeah that was fucking weird yeah it was like my starsky had gone <laughs> yeah, and i was kind yeah. of like actually and it sounds so weird half the stuff sounds like lies and that's yeah. why it's interesting we had a lot of family friends and i'm so close to those to them now like my godmother penny and her family because we grew up with them and i was there the other day and she was coming up with strange things my parents had done and i was like oh thank god yeah, there are other witnesses <laughs> Other people can remember. Well, she said something like, her husband said, I remember coming round and it was midnight and you and your sister were up eating dinner and playing. And I said, they're two and four. And my mum said, oh, they like to be up at this time. And... <laughs> 
whenever I would start to spin out and, and feel like my heart was racing and I couldn't get myself under control, I just had this like primal urge to be on barefoot on grass. Wow. And so like when I got the call to say my brother had died without thinking, I was out the front door and I was at the park at the end of my road. It was April, it was freezing. And I was like walking up and down the grass barefoot with my socks off. And I would do this thing where I'd like place one hand on my heart and one hand on my head. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just breathing and holding myself like that, stood barefoot. And it made me feel better. So I mentioned it to someone afterwards uh, and they were like, yeah, that's the thing. It's called grounding. And it's like you're connecting yourself to the earth. Because wow. I remember these feelings of like if I could feel actual earth on my feet. Yeah. It stopped feeling like I was the biggest thing and my loss was the biggest thing. And suddenly I felt connected to the universe. And you feel part of this, like, well, the universe is ginormous and there's been billions of people before us and billions of people after us who will suffer these deaths. And I guess I'm connected to all of this and it all makes sense. Uh, yeah, and she's, it's called grounding. And it makes people feel better. And I, I don't know how it works, but um, we have it in us, like, yeah. primarily. We don't need to be taught. There, your body knows what to do to help you survive. It floods you with chemicals. Yeah. It tells you to take yourself to grass and nature. And it knows how to get you through if you let, if you let it. It's really strange. That it, what, like we talked about right in the beginning, of like what kicks in. Mm. Like what will just kick in. It will just get you through. And having just had a baby, <laughs> I can say the same. It's very strange, like life and death. Like your body kicks, stuff kicks in. Right. And it's like, we got this. And really a large amount of what happens is your head being like, oh my God. And your body being like, shut up. Like you said, you those weird primal things that just yeah. kick in and just surviving grief is about, like you said, allowing yourself to do it, not questioning. Because I think that's where people get in a lot of pain when they go, well, that would be mental. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just stay where I am, even, even though it's uncomfortable. It's like, and I used to say to people, go and find a wood and scream. Yeah. <laughs> like, go and scream somewhere in a wood is quite good. Get a piece of wood, I used to always advise, for my experience. <laughs> get a piece of wood and bash another piece of wood. Being in nature and being, like, angry. Out. Out. Yeah. yeah, you have to kind of just let yourself do it. But it's very... It can be very overwhelming. I think that you're afraid it's going to take over and you will never stop screaming or mm -hmm. you'll never stop walking around without your shoes on. But you do. You do. Of course you do. Or you, or you don't, and that's probably okay too. <laughs> but you mostly do. And I, I think nature is a big thing. Like I've never known since, since those deaths. I can't explain to you what the sunset does to me. Uh, yeah. like I, you know me. I'm not a wanky person. No, you're right? very down to earth. It's not my bag. But when I see the sunset... The joy that bubbles up through my body and makes me feel, like, jubilant. And this, I think that's one of the good things that's come out of all, of all of these losses and connecting to nature and things like that, that I now just, I can look at the sky and I can look at the sunset and I can go, I am alive and I'm so grateful to be here and I'm so grateful for all that I've got. Yeah. And then I might wake up the next day and I'm pissed off again about something. But I guarantee you when the sunset comes around, I'm like, we're here. We did it. We're here, you guys. And I didn't used to feel that kind of joy. Yeah. I didn't feel pain and loss like I, f I felt. But I didn't feel joy like I feel now either. It's like my spectrum of emotions has been broadened. Yeah, definitely. Because you've been through such extreme pain where there is light, there is dark. Like if you've ex experienced extreme pain, I do think you're more open to experiencing extreme joy. Mm. And again, you have to fuck, because again, I'm a very cynical person. And before my dad died, I was so, I was like fucking basing myself on Darlene from Roseanne. Like, <laughs> like, and then you do start going, why was I laughing at the people who had joy? Like, yeah. how amazing that they knew, that they knew to appreciate things. There was me going, this is shit, guys. And now I'm like, this is so great. We're all here. Both me and my husband have a habit of being extremely cheesy, but because he has had so many losses as well, of just yeah. going like, 
we're here and that's enough like isn't that isn't that amazing just this yeah just, this moment together and that yeah. we found each other and that we're alive and that we're breathing and that also you know we do have so much to be grateful for yeah we're white people who live in London <laughs> and we have money like yeah our life is significantly better than a lot of people around the world yeah but again it's that thing I think of the coping the coping mechanism that you clearly have a very strong coping mechanism and it kicks in and protects you and it's about what well, my therapist is always telling me <laughs> Knowing when to turn off the coping mechanism Mm -hmm. and to go, yep, you're privileged and you have a lot of good things, but it's okay to be sad. Like, it's also all right to let that in, which is so hard because I think that especially with what you've been through, that coping mechanism must have just been like, (laughs) like, full whack. (laughs) Yeah, you're in defense mode. And to be able to turn that down... It's tricky. My uh, when I started having anxiety attacks, my therapist described it to me in a way that I hadn't heard before. Before, because it was like I went through this period of like the tiniest thing would flip me over the edge, mm. and she was saying that not that there is a normal amount of adrenaline in yeah. someone's body, but she was like, if you could say there was a normal amount, and then say that's on the scale at this point, and then ten degrees above that is the point where you would flip into an anxiety attack. When you've been through a, an amount of grief your body sort of remains in fight or flight mode yeah. for a long time. So you never sink back down to normal adrenaline. Yeah. You're always just below that point that would flip you into an anxiety attack because your body has been so attacked that for months, maybe even years, it's just waiting like, who's coming at me next? Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And so you've got this hair trigger. It only takes the tiniest thing to flip you there because all of your senses are primed and ready to protect you if they need to. And when she explained it that way, I was like... Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, I'm beating myself up less now that like I had an anxiety attack because I couldn't decide what I wanted to have for breakfast. Yeah. You know, makes sense. Your, your body's ready to fight because it has been attacked. That, that is what has happened. I got home in, before he'd been medicated, so mm. he was still a little compass mentis. Uh, and then the, the ladies arrived to give him some morphine and... He said all sorts of really profoundly beautiful and profoundly odd things. <laughs> After the morphine. Yeah, yeah. yeah the morphine is mad, yeah. isn't it? Some like, real clarity and some real oddness yeah. and some real beauty and some real love and care. And it was extraordinary. And I wrote a lot of it down, actually, because I didn't want to forget what he'd said. And then slowly throughout the night, things progressively got very violent oh. in terms of how he was going. And the nurses eventually came back... And I think they realised they hadn't... Because because he'd been so brave up to that point, he really ought to have been medicated a lot, lot previous to that. Yeah, yeah. But because he'd been so brave and determined to just keep fighting, I think the dose wasn't quite right. He didn't have yeah. enough. and That morphine dose is really hard. Yeah, it was really, really tricky. What happened to my mother-in-law? They gave the wrong dose. And, Did they? And again, I think because she's a very born in the 40s, get on with it, you know, and she was very like... It's fine. Yeah. And then ended up this awful night of agony. Where That's it, was, it. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was, it was almost worse than my, my dad's because my dad was in a hospice. So it was right. very medicated. Very managed. We didn't really see, there wasn't a moment where he was really in pain because it was just, well, yeah, a con, you well, know, yeah. he was on morphine. That's a gift. A lot. It really is a gift. Whereas she was at home, I think, even though it's amazing to be at home, yeah, they're obviously the you run the risk of people aren't always around so, yes yeah it yes. can be really yeah and uh it was it was physically horrendous oh, to watch yeah and then and, we, and things were happening to him that we had to administer he was very um sick and, and ill and we had to sort of 
help him a lot in mm. terms of what we had to do for him. So was this you and your mum? And my brother was there as oh, well. Yeah. And Jerry was there, my husband, for the podcasters. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we just helped him. And, and he said sorry to me at one point, and that broke my heart mm. because he's done everything for me my whole life. He's yeah. just my hero. And so to even be able to be there and do that for him, which yeah. is, you know... Something I don't imagine any parent wants their child to have to do for them, but it was my pleasure and my yeah, my yeah. heart full of love to help him like that. And then when the nurses came back, I think they realised he was in quite dire straits and they administered what they could legally give him and said that they, he would settle and yeah. settle. For those who don't know, tends yeah. to mean he'll be drifting off soon. Yeah. Um, and she judged it perfectly, actually, because there was one more dose of morphine she could have given him. And she said, I'm not going to give him that because he's settled now, but he's not going anywhere for a bit so you can be with him and so after they'd administered the correct dose he really really calmed down we all calmed down jerry went to bed and matthew mom and i lay and sat with him and talked to him and thanked him and loved him and saw him through and then it was i don't i don't know what your experience was like with your dad but it was really like we just knew he was about to have his last breath we just knew Oh no, my dad kept fighting right Did to me. Yeah, like we my mum was like, knew. just go into the light. Yeah. <laughs> like it was like... My mom, I think we, we knew, and it was very strange. I mean, you, you, so, uh, you attach all sorts of importance to things or sort of profound meaning to things. But the window in dad's room had been open all night with this gentle breeze. But the door to his room had been open, sort of slightly ajar. But it was dark in there, we're all, all with him. And then he, was, he, he took what we thought was his final breath then, you know, my mum said to him, you can go, it's okay, we're mm. all here. My brother was saying thank you so much and we were all, you know, just sending him off with some loving thoughts. And then he took one more gasp as he breathed out. This gust of wind just came and blew the door closed oh really my, gently. no way! And it, it could have done that for hours before that. And it was just this... I've got tingles now. It was incredible. I've got he literally breathed in, breathed out, and then this gust of wind came and the door went clithunk. And we were in total darkness and we knew he'd gone and it was extraordinary. It was kind of beautiful. In, in, Gemma, that's am- like I'm literally yeah. like holding my face. Yeah, like, oh it my was God. really beautiful, unforgettable. and That's like something from a, like, I don't know, Edwardian novel. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it sounds like some old dramatic actress making yeah. it up. Or no, whatever. It no, just, it, it sounds just, beautiful. It was really incredible. And then we... Wow, and then we hadn't had any physical contact with him for months because yeah. he'd been he'd become very averse to being touched because he lost so much weight. Oh. And so we bathed him and we changed him into some fresh pajamas and we lay him on his oh. bed and then we all cuddled him. And like if if I'd heard that previous to somebody dying, I'd be like, "What? You were cuddling a dead body? That's yeah." And it was just the deepest correct thing to do yeah. to be with him and hold him and talk to him. And we were all completely beside ourselves, mm. but. The whole thing, he was out of pain. Thank you for listening. That was a compilation, special Christmas compilation, something jolly about that episode, of lots of different early episodes uh, from the Griefcast. Thank you so much, so much for listening to this episode and all the clips and all the full episodes are still available. They're up on the ACAST website or they'll be on your pod app, wherever you get your pods from. So just search for the episode and you should be able to find them if there's any 
that you heard just now and you thought oh I'd actually quite like to hear the rest of that next week we'll be having another compilation episode it will be uh, obviously I think it's actually boxing day when the time that it comes out so it'll be a compilation of later episodes again just trying to keep you going at this slightly tough time of year we thought it might be nice just to hear some clips rather than a full-on interview Thank you very much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at The Griefcast or on Instagram at The Griefcast and you can email thegriefcast at gmail.com. And um, I just want to say thank you to someone who emailed me this week to (laughs) give me a sharp reminder that uh, I tell everyone every week that they're not alone and that I am also not alone. So thank you very much, Matthew. It was much appreciated. So yeah, as I always say, remember, you are not alone.